This is the Master Brewers Podcast, brought to you by the Master Brewers Association of the Americas, a volunteer organization dedicated to continually improving the products and processes of our membership since 1887. Master Brewers brings you interviews with the industry's best and brightest in brewing science, technology, and operations. This episode was made possible by the following sponsors. Discover more ways to enhance flavor and maximize beer yields with Salvo. Now available in varieties like Sultana, Trident, Lotus, Calypso, Cascade, and many more. Discover how Salvo can help boost your brew at hopsteiner.com. Additional support provided by... Every beer has a story, and that's why, for over 95 years, Gusmer Enterprises has offered a full line of solutions, including equipment, analytical instrumentation, and processing aids, all brought to you from leading suppliers and backed by strong technical support. For the solution to your story, go to gusmerbeer.com. Grist Analytics captures and trends data across the brewery so you can see issues as they are happening, not several batches later. Get real-time feedback on the brew deck, analyze correlations from the lab, and see scheduling predictions from anywhere. Connect Grist with your ERP platform to cover your brewery from production to finance. What you're about to hear originally aired in September of 2019. We'll be back next week with a brand new episode that you won't want to miss. Basically, what we found was if they were stored properly, there was no growth on these, even even some of the cans that had been in here for, for longer than a year. To rinse or not to rinse, what's in your can? This week on the show, our friends at Community Beer take us on a journey to eliminate microbes and can filling. Uh, I'm Jamie Fulton. I'm the co-founder and brewmaster at Community Beer Company. We're about six and a half years old. And I've been in the brewing industry for about 16 years now. Well, hi, my name's Mark. I am, uh, I've been at Community for a little over, uh, about a year and a half now. Uh, I went to school at Oklahoma State University, um, studied microbiology, and now I'm working the lab. You guys set out to assess the hygiene of your packaging raw materials. What was the motivation behind this project? So the the project started when we bought our canning line about two and a half years ago. So we had we'd only been bottling, bought our canning line, and you know, so I started researching about you know rinsing the cans, and you know, I'd heard a lot of people using liquid sanitizers, and I kind of questioned this um, method as as to its effectiveness and necessity. So that's kind of how the project started, and after a lot of research. Uh, and, you know, just testing in our lab, we kind of arrived at uh, the solution that we that we outline in this presentation. Talk about the goals of this study. Yeah, so, you know, Mark and I then set out to, first of all, see in, in all of our packaging uh, materials, is there any microorganisms that we need to be worried about? And so we gathered cans and bottles from around the brewery. I mean, some pallets that have been sitting there for a year, like discontinued cans, uh, bottles. These were all under slip sheets. They weren't just open to the air. 
at a high level, what we were what we were trying to determine is: are there any microbes present in our packaging materials? And um, if so, you know, what would be the best method to remove them? What can you tell us about your methods and the overall design for this project? We took samples of cans from around the brewery from different pallets. Um, some of these pallets of empty cans had been in the brewery for a week, two weeks, a month, multiple months, and even some for longer than a year and kept them covered until they were under our laminar flow hood and uh, pipetted sterile water into the cans to make sure or to and then we swirled it around to make sure that the water touched all parts of the cans um, just trying to see if any microorganisms could have been present in that can uh, just even if it's covered and and stored properly and then we pipetted out the liquid from the can onto the plates and uh, incubated them in aerobic and anaerobic uh, conditions. Did the same thing with bottles, too. Uh, we have bottles stored all over the place. Most of the time, these aren't. Uh, we don't have some backed up for as long as we do some of the cans. And uh, basically, what we found was if they were stored properly, um, there was no growth on these, even, even some of the cans that had been in here for, for longer than a year. Um, wow. Yeah, it was, that was pretty surprising. Was it a relief that you didn't find anything or did that just make you question your methods? I, I suspected we weren't going to find anything. That's, that's one of my whole, the whole reason behind me being skeptical about rinsing the cans with sanitizer. I was like, there's, you know, what's really in these? I mean, yeah. bottles coming from, you know, being blown in a bottle manufacturer. I don't, I, I wouldn't expect anything to be living in it. So I wasn't really surprised we didn't find anything. This study showed that properly stored cans and bottles didn't have any foreign material or microbes. Talk about what properly stored means. Yeah, I'll take that. So properly stored, just meaning that the the slip sheets are covering all of the openings of the bottles and cans. It's it's pretty easy when you have a partial layer of cans to uh, to, to not cover it properly. Uh, but you know, we try to at least remove entire layers of cans if we're running like a you know partial pallet, just because it's it's kind of difficult to uh, to cover up and uh, keep the pallet. Uh, keep the pallets integrity without, you know, toppling over a bunch of cans. So, you know, just keeping that slip sheet covering them, uh, any cans that are, you know, sticking out, um, we toss those. Uh, but later on, I think we can talk about even exposed cans, what we're doing to uh, prevent anything that might have fallen in them. But yeah, keeping the slip sheets over them, keeping them uh, wrapped tight and uh, wrapping them up with plastic, which uh, is not how they come to the brewery when we get them. But when we do partial pallets, that's what I mean by properly stored. And the ones that come off the truck uh, typically, you know, are all completely covered up. That's how they come from the manufacturer. So those are those are fine, too. So were you already pretty much storing bottles and cans properly, or did the results from the study ha have any impact on the way you store those materials? I would say definitely it does. I mean, you can see in our, in our presentation that exposure to air in the brewery introduces microbes, and especially if a pallet's been sitting there for a while and it has cans sticking out of it, uh, you know, the, there's stuff's going to fall in there inevitably. 
So, yeah, I mean, after after seeing the stuff that would fall into cans and grow anaerobically, um, you know, we, we make our best effort to be sure that every can on a partial pallet that we do is, is covered up and wrapped. You didn't just stop there. What did you want to test next? So we tested um, some some cans that had been exposed uh, to the brewery air for uh, different amounts of time. Uh, some of the cans we tested were only exposed for one hour, three hours, and then we also did a 12-hour exposure to the cans. Um, and the results were interesting. The one-hour exposure, there wasn't any growth. We didn't find any growth, uh, which was pretty interesting. I mean, this was done in the winter, so maybe there was potentially less uh, less microbes in the air at that time. Three-hour exposure, uh, we had some growth aerobically and anaerobically. Um, and then the 12-hour cans were pretty gross. Um, definitely didn't want to uh, be drinking out of those. But we, we, yeah, we found, I mean, we found everything from wild yeast. And, and on our presentation, there are some cool photos uh, taken from the microscope. I put my phone up to the microscope. I think they're pretty cool. Um, yeah, we got some yeast. We've got some uh, gram negative. Oh, and I, I did gram staining on these bacteria too, which is just a, uh, a staining technique to differentiate cells based on their uh, cell wall. And you can kind of use the gram nature to figure out, you know, some, some of these might be... Um, they could potentially be beer spoilers or uh, beer spoilage organisms, but we didn't have any of them uh, genotyped, so we don't we don't know exactly what they are. But some of them fit the mold for Acetobacter, and and some of them are definitely yeast. Uh, we got some mold in there, and and the photos are pretty cool. An ounce of prevention may be worth a pound of cure, but what about when you know these materials haven't been stored properly? What do you do then? Do you just have to throw them out? So that was, yeah, this this is all preventative, really. I mean, finding that there was nothing in the uh, the cans and bottles uh, was comforting, but, you know, since uh, being that something could be growing in it after three hours exposure... Uh, inevitably something could fall in it like immediately after the slip sheet has been taken off. It's just, you know, um, probability of it. But so we went about to look at how can we prevent uh, anything that does get in there from uh, remaining in there or how can we uh, destroy it or kill it? So we kind of went through the the common methods and a lot, a lot of people are using uh, some sort of sanitizer to uh, to rinse the bottles, uh, a liquid sanitizer of some sort. And, you know, some people said, oh, it's, you know, it's sanitizing uh, bacteria or, or yeast or whatever. And some people were saying, uh, but, you know, I, I realize I'm not sanitizing it. The the exposure time is too short, but I'm just making sure that the, the liquid we're using is uh, not introducing any uh, any uh, microorganisms to the cans or bottles. Um, so, and you know, the, the problems I have with that are just, you know, the water usage, it's, it's a big mess. Um, the residual sanitizer that inevitably will end up in the can and, and also the oxygen pickup uh, with, you know, inevitably oxygen being in the liquid, uh, you know, with our, 
with our canning line, it picks up virtually zero oxygen and uh, introducing even just a half mil of liquid with oxygen in it is going to increase that. Um, and, you know, another method is a sterile air rinse, which is common. Uh, but the, the problem with the cans especially is, uh, you know, being that there's a non-conductive surface and the cans being conductive, they really develop a static charge when they're on the, on the conveyor off the DPAL. And so uh, you have to uh, just rinsing with sterile air alone will not overcome that static charge and dust can can cling uh, to the can. And I read some, uh, <laughs> this is a, a German thing, of course, but uh, exposing <laughs> bottles to, uh, to sh uh, short amounts of steam. And, and, you know, in, in Europe, that might be good. I mean, their, their bottles are a lot, they're returnable for the most part, and they can probably stand up to that. I don't really see that as a viable way to, to rinse bottles. And you certainly can't do it for cans, so. Yeah, yeah. Coming up. Yeah, we, uh, we actually had no growth after the exposure to UV and the ionizer. So, yeah, mission accomplished. I'm John Bryce, and you're listening to the Master Brewers Podcast from the Master Brewers Association of the Americas. There's really only one thing that keeps this podcast going, and that's when listeners like you take the time to thank our sponsors. The next time you talk to a rep from one of these companies, be sure to thank them for their generous support. Sponsored by BSG, who are here to help you keep it fresh all year with their line of fruit purees. Made from 100% real fruit, fruit purees from BSG can be added during primary or secondary fermentation to bring real fruit flavor to your brew. Plus, because they're aseptically processed, refrigeration is not required. Available in blueberry, mango, and pineapple, fruit purees from BSG are perfect for adding a punch of natural fruit to your beers. Real fruit, real fresh, all year long. Contact your BSG sales rep or visit bsgcraftbrewing.com to get yours. Get to know Proximity Malt. We malt superior, European-style, low-protein varieties grown close to home in Delaware and Colorado. Domestically grown, precisely malted to style. With our team of seasoned experts and two brand new malt houses, try what's really new in malt. Check us out at www.proximitymalt.com. Positively impact your process, product, and profitability with actionable insights from BrewIQ, the industry-leading real-time fermentation monitoring solution. Visit www.precisionfermentation.com backslash MBAA to start saving time and money today. BSI, your brewing partner since 1996, is your destination for top quality liquid yeast cultures, lab services, and brewing products. BSI customizes your yeast orders for the perfect healthy pitch rate from a collection of over 300 strains. Most strains ship within seven days, but now try BSI's Express Yeast with industry favorite strains shipped the next business day. 
As of 2023, BSI is proud to be a 100% employee-owned business. Professional brewers can call for a free same-day consultation or visit brewingscience.com to access over 50 years of brewing expertise. Are you sure you're getting the best deal? Visit the Lupulin Exchange, where you can find every hop variety, every brand, and every vendor. Compare prices, reviews, shipping speeds, reliability, and more on over a million pounds shipping direct from every hop merchant and grower in the U.S. The Lupulin Exchange. One stop, all the hops. And here's what's coming up on the Master Brewers calendar. District Rocky Mountain meets December 6th at Leopold Brothers in Denver. Don't miss Yakima Chief's December 7th webinar, Unlock the Transformative Power of a Sensory Program. There's another webinar December 12th for adjunct brewers called Rice for Beer, Brewing Principles and Techniques. The 2024 Barley Improvement Conference is January 10th and 11th in San Diego. Don't miss the January 10th webinar, Brewing in a Beer with SmartBev Near Yeast, a craft brewer's perspective. District St. Louis meets January 18th and 19th at Anheuser-Busch. The District Great Plains annual meeting is February 23rd and 24th at Mark One Electric Company in Kansas City. It's time to save the date for the 2024 World Brewing Congress. That's August 17th through the 20th in Minneapolis. Check out the full calendar of events at mbaa.com for more details or to find a district meeting near you. Haven't joined Master Brewers? Now's the time. Just for listening to the Master Brewers podcast, become a member for $123 for the year. Head over to mbaa.com and use code BEER2023 when you join. Now back to the show. wanted an insurance policy, but steam's not an option for cans, and you didn't want to deal with the downsides that come with a, a water rinse. Talk about this strategy you landed on. Yeah, so uh, my dad was an immunologist, and I always went to his lab when I was little, and uh, you know, one time we did a science fair project where we, we grew some bacteria, and I had, I think it was just a UV light, like, you know, you have in your room for black light posters, but uh, it, it wasn't a great science fair project because I had, I think I exposed these, uh, these bacteria to, if I remember right, it was like as, as fast as I could, uh, turn on and off the switch on the UV light. And then like, you know, five seconds and then 10 seconds and then a minute. Well, every amount of exposure killed the entire population of bacteria. I mean, even just, you know, as fast as I could flip it on, you know, a, a fraction of a second is all it takes to, uh, to destroy microorganisms with UV light. So, um, remembering that I was, you know, I started researching, well, is, is UV light going to, uh, somehow interact with the lining in the can, you know, could I be doing something, uh, to the can here that I'm not intending. And all of my research, uh, I didn't find any reason why we couldn't be doing this. Were you aware, aware of other brewers uh, using UV for this application? I've never heard of a, of anybody using it 
for the inside of cans. I've heard of breweries using it to keep for water um, and process water stuff like that. Yeah, yeah, to sanitize water and uh, and also just to keep mold growing in certain areas. But I mean, the the UV light's dangerous. Like I, I wouldn't want this shining anywhere in my brewery. Uh, and you can see on the slides, we have a, a shroud over it to where it's really just, you know, showering the cans with the UV light. Um, so, but what it is, we, you know, I found a, a, a ballast and uh, actual germicidal UV light bulbs, which have a specific, specific wavelength of light that is uh, most effective at, at, uh, at killing microbes of 260 nanometer. Uh, but so I was I was telling my dad my solution about this and reminding him about this science fair project, uh, and he's like, "Yep, yep." He's like, "But do you understand why it kills the bacteria?" <laughs> and I forget what what jargon he got into then, but essentially it's because it uh, breaks the molecular bonds in their DNA, and uh, he he could explain it a lot better than I can. But that's that's the reason why it works. But it's uh, yeah, it's I mean close to a hundred percent effectiveness killing uh, mold and especially bacteria spores which are uh, problematic. And so the way I have it on the DPAL, uh, at least in my situation, uh, it was allowing about 10 to you know 40 seconds, depending on uh, you know how the DPAL was running at the time. But as, a, as I mentioned, uh, any amount of exposure uh, to UV is, is, uh, is enough. Yeah. All right. That's pretty cool. So... Um I guess continue on and let's hear a little bit more about uh, what you do afterwards because you're not just doing UV. Right. So, uh, yeah, and just, just to – the UV is dangerous. And whenever we're up there, like, messing with the DPAL, you have to turn it off uh, so you don't expose your eyes and skin to it. But so the second – uh, did did second, you have to custom build the the shroud around it, or, or is that something you were able to purchase, or how did that work? <laughs> yeah, it's made out of a really expensive uh, slip sheet from the cans. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Yeah, I mean, you know, don't reinvent the wheel, right? It's just some magnets holding it on to the, uh, the, the housing for the lights, and uh, yeah, I just cut some of the slip sheets. It's just an opaque guard. I can I can come up with something better, but that's what's on there right now. Um, so the the second step in it is rinsing it with uh, sterile ionized air. So there's you can spend a lot of money on uh, an uh, ionizer. I know Cron the guys from Cronus were showing me one that was about twenty five thousand dollars air ionizer, and then it had a vacuum behind it, uh, supposedly sucking up all the dust that comes out. Well, I, I found that a little ridiculous because there's hardly any, if anything's coming out of these cans that are being rinsed, it's <laughs> it's negligible. I mean, there's more stuff coming in when a bay door is open in the brewery. So I don't see the need for a vacuum. But so the cans after the UV, when they're going down the twist rinse, uh, it's run the, I have just, you know, plant compressed air coming in at, you know, 125 PSI and then step down uh, with a regulator to, about 25 psi. It's just kind of depending on how how hard you want to run it. It, it does it doesn't need to be much. Uh, then goes through a sterile uh, cartridge uh, filter, and then through an inline ionizer, uh, which I found one from Tac Industries that was about 600 bucks. And like I said, you can spend a lot of money on them, but uh, you know this this is the one that I found and it, and it does the job. So then that just goes to uh, some lock line fittings uh, that, that rinse the can with the sterile ionized air. So the, the point being that 
you know, any static that's developed on the cans will uh, be overcome by these. It's, it just produces positive and negative ions in the air, which neutralize the static charge on the can and then allow the air to actually blow off any particles that might be clinging to the can because of that static charge. So that's that's the that's the reasoning behind the ionizing and that that's a very common practice with uh coca-cola you know these big uh big manufacturers of drinks they're they're they use ionized air to to rinse their packages it's pretty common um i was a little confused by your presentation it's it sounds like it's actually a two-step rinse process is that right well no, that that is in my presentation. That is how uh, I originally did it. Uh, we just uh, upgraded our canning line, and I found it redundant to use ionized and then sterile compressed air. Uh, I basically have uh, more fittings on it now and a shorter run. You're supposed to keep the the run very short between the ionizer and the actual uh, dispensing of the ionized air. So I shortened that up. And I just have now five nozzles spraying sterile ionized air into the cans. So, but previously you were doing a separate ionized and then a separate sterile. Is that what you were doing? Or? Well, they were they were both sterile, but yes, the first step I had two nozzles hitting them with sterile ionized air, and then it followed it up with just sterile compressed air. So, you know. I think that, you know, my, my method of doing it now, we're about to present this again at the Texas Craft Brewers Guild uh, Education and Safety Summit. And uh, I've upgraded the or I've, I've updated the presentation to show this. But, yeah, that's kind of I see it as a little redundant to just, you know, hit it with two different kinds. It just makes it a simpler installation. Got it. Uh, I was wondering, can you comment on why UV before air? Wouldn't it be better to sanitize after blowing out the cans? Yeah, it would. I just I found it a lot more practical to do it this way as they're coming off the depal. Um, I mean, we could, you know, you could put something right after uh, on the twist rinse uh, and shroud it. That would, yeah, that would be even more effective. I agree. So what did it cost to add UV and ionized sterile air to your packaging line? Less than 700 bucks. I mean, we, you know, we bought all the the wiring, the switch, the the ballast, the bulbs. I mean, literally the ballast and bulbs were about 50 bucks. Uh, and then, you know, you've you've got a uh, drop of electricity and a switch. I mean, you know, maybe 20 bucks there. And then um the lock line fitting, some tubing, of course, lots of zip ties. <laughs> uh, oh, you know, one thing I don't have in that budget is that sterile air filter, but it was relatively inexpensive. I think it was probably about 250 bucks. So I'd say less than $1,000 all in. Cool. And I, you were kind enough to put some uh, links and part numbers in your presentation. So I'll be sure to, to link to that as well as your um, updated one from uh, District Texas uh, in the show notes so that people can follow along that if they're interested in, in kind of, you know, utilizing the the legwork you've done here. You've done some testing of exposed cans post-treatment with the new equipment. Any positives or has your insurance policy been rock solid thus far? Yeah, on the slides, we posted a few, just a few results because, I mean, a bunch of empty can or empty non-growing plates is kind of we didn't need to post all the photos of nothing, but yeah, we uh, we actually had no growth after the exposure to UV and the ionizer. So yeah, mission accomplished. That's awesome. Anything else you want to say about that? Uh, yeah, I guess I'll say that the, these are the same plates 
or these the cans that were tested after UV or uh, after going through the UV were the same plates that were showing, you know, that disgusting growth from the other uh, the other tests that we did, the three and the twelve hour plates that had all that growth. It's, it's the same same exposed cans we just took half of them and put them under the uv and ionizer and then the other half we immediately sampled without any of the uv or ionized ionized air ionized sterile air cool has there been any noticeable outcome for example you know fewer consumer complaints or flags on sensory panel or or anything like that after this project um i'll i'll take that yeah i don't we never really had uh, we, we had one recall with a low alcohol logger, uh, but we're pretty sure it was this old, uh, packaging equipment we had. Um, but other than that, no, we, we haven't had anything like that happen previously. And it, it's really just, you know, a CYA covering our butt just to, you know, um, you know, there's, as, as they say, there's, uh, there's two types of breweries. Breweries that have had an infection and breweries that are that are yet to have an infection. That was Jamie Fulton and Mark Bagazinski here on the Master Brewers podcast. Thanks to strong work by volunteer district officers like Austin Heisha District, Texas, members can download 807 and counting presentations like Community Beers, What's in Your Can? You can find this one in the District Presentations Archive under the Meetings tab, or just type UV into the industry's best search bar at mbaa.com. Are you enjoying the Master Brewers podcast? Let me tell you about a simple way you can help us keep making more. Take a minute to thank our sponsors. There's no way we could produce this show without generous support from sponsors like Hopsteiner, Proximity Mall, BSG, Gussamer, and Precision Fermentation. So please, let them know you heard their message on the Master Brewers podcast and that you appreciate their support.